0: I may. Amen. That is true truth. Children ages uh, three through uh, first grade are uh, free if they want to head back. If it's okay with mom and dad, uh, they can head back to uh, children's worship at this point. And for the rest of us, if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we'll continue our journey through this remarkable book. And we'll be reading verses 13 through 16. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for giving us your word. Your word is true. Grant that we may build our lives upon the truth of your word. We ask that you would give to us faith to live according to that truth. We pray for our children, that you will minister to them through children's worship that you'll teach them how to abandon themselves to you, and that they will begin that by teaching them to trust that you, Lord Jesus, have died for their sins. So move in their midst. And for us, Lord, we abandon ourselves to you and to your word, and we ask, O oh God, that you would do the miraculous thing of speaking to us through the folly of preaching, and that you would show that you are a great and an awesome God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2017, the end of the year, was about a five-week period. Um, we suffered uh, some, some losses uh, in, in our family. In uh, November, first of all, Dr. Morton Smith uh, passed away. Dr. Smith was uh, one of my professors at seminary. And when I say one of my professors, that really undersells it. Um, Dr. Smith is that professor that you all probably had that you could never call by their first name, right? Because you hold them in too high of an esteem, and, and Dr. Smith was that. He, he taught me not only solid theology, but, but what it is to be uh, a gentleman churchman. He taught me what patience is, even with those with whom you disagree, and had a tremendous impact in my life, and he was gone. Then later in that month, uh, Robin's father, Carol, passed away. Um, who's a man who taught me how to believe, and I mean literally, how do you believe, and, and showed me what uh, the Christian life really looked like. And then later in December, R.C. Sproul passed away, and I, I didn't have a personal relationship with him, but any of you who've listened to enough of his tapes, you feel like you did, right? Um, and he really gave me a, a, a solid foundation for my faith, for he's one of the first uh, Bible teachers that I would listen to uh, on the radio, and to learn about Presbyterianism in particular, but the uh, the Christian faith in general, and these great losses were were all within this this short period of time. And I remember thinking at the time, I really want to go home. Not necessarily that everything's bad, but but I'd really like to be where where they are, um, recognizing what a what a wonderful place that is, and and that desire to to be with them. We've been looking at the Book of Hebrews. Here is a, a congregation for. Uh, I guess we did most of last year and then this year. Um, we will finish it up this year, um, even though you, know, you say it's only chapter 11. Are we really going to be able to make it? And, and yes, we'll be able to finish it up. And the book of Hebrews is a, is a book, I, I think it was probably a, originally a sermon that was written down and it was preached to a gathering of uh, Jewish believers. The, that is to say, there were individuals who grew up in, in, in Judaism in the Old administration of the covenant of grace and they had come to faith in Jesus and and they were they were trying to figure out what do I do in this intertestament not intertestamental but intercovenantal time this time of transition from the old administration to the new administration and there was pressure on them societally there was pressure on them religiously there was pressure on them through their family to just to just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm just going to kind of stay over here in the Old Covenant and just keep doing that. And they're familiar with it, and, and unlike people in York, they, they didn't like change so much, so they probably wanted to, to stay in that place where, where they wouldn't have to change. And, and that's just a part of what, what, what they were dealing with, and the author is, is urging them, no, 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 you're in the New Covenant, you need to come forward, you need to come into that covenant, you need to keep moving forward, and the call is continually, you need to be the people of faith, you need to believe and he's pressing them to believe. And in chapter 11, the entire chapter is just examples of faith. And he's given several examples of faith, he, he wants to point out to them that what it was that these people had their faith in and, and to show them and to urge them to move forward in that faith, showing them the forefathers longing for home. That Abraham didn't live to be here. He lived for something more. I think it stands the same example for us that as we look at these examples and we have this, this urging for us to live for home, how about if we together decide, let's start walking toward home, which is heaven. And that's what I want us to consider, how to go about doing that this morning. And, and the first way to be able to do that is you've, you've got to remember that you're in exile. Remember that you are in exile. Verse 13. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. Um, one of the things that we have prayed for uh, the the families that we care for in uh, South Africa is for visa issues. It seems like all of them are having troubles. Uh, South Africa is having difficulty just issuing uh, visas. And then uh, COVID made it even harder. And they've got this huge backlog. And and so many of the people are living there and they've got expired visas. And and so that puts them in a difficult spot. And and some have been rejected and, and they're appealing that. And that may go well, it may not. They could eventually be declared undesirable and have to leave. They may get the message, you've got 10 days to leave. We understand how that is for for missionaries and uh, recognizing the difficulty of the visas. As, as far as even a family from our own congregation that we love dearly, we remember that a few years ago they were seeking to enter into the their country that they were serving, and they were told at the airport, you can't come in. And uh, what that then means, and their entire life is turned upside down. What, where are we now? To the missionary, the visa is a constant reminder to them that they're living in a land that is not their home. It's always reminding them that, if you will, they're passing through. Now, they love that land, and they work hard in that land, but they, it's a reminder that that isn't the ultimate for them. They're not a resident. And I think that is a reminder to us as well, that we're, this isn't our permanent home. We're just passing through here. Notice that it says that they, they confess that they were strangers and exiles that these individuals would, would make this declaration this, this statement of agreement that they are strangers and the word strangers is uh, the, the word that be at the root of uh, if you um, of xenophobia or maybe it probably will click with everybody. Do you remember that show Xena Warrior Princess? Right? That's the the Greek word that's that's there is is Xena and it and it's the stranger and there's an element in which the stranger means just someone that I don't know. But there's also an element in which the stranger is always someone that poses a potential danger. That person may be, may be a stranger religiously. They may be a stranger culturally. They may be a stranger from another land. But in either any way, they are, they are outside and they are viewed by those who are inside as a potential danger. And then he uses the term of, of exile, which speaks of, of living alongside those who are home. Okay? I think it's an interesting word picture to me. I'm living beside people and I'm going through life beside people, but they're home and I'm not. And you've experienced that, have you not? And you know what that feeling is. And that's what they're saying is this is what they're confessing. This is who they are. They are strangers who may be viewed as dangerous. They are exiles. That is, they are living beside the people who are actually home, but they themselves are not home. They knew this is not our home. We must know this is not our home, and therefore, we need to enjoy the promises from a distance. He says that uh, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, and they welcomed them from a distance. I want to think about that for just a moment. They didn't receive the promises, and I I made a point last week of saying, well, they kind of did, right? Because Abraham, right, He, he was promised land and children, right? and he lived in the land that he was promised and remember like jacob and then his grandson isaac so he had children but yet we recognize it was it was a little bit but it wasn't all was it it wasn't the complete it was it was a nice first fruit if you will but it wasn't the complete harvest it wasn't the complete fulfillment of the promises that god had for him for he looked to the ultimate fulfillment. And so we too, there are a lot of things that God has given us that are, that are tremendous blessings that we have here on this earth, and, and it's magnificent, and, and we thank God for it, but we recognize that we're looking for something even more. The first uh, that I want us to think about, one of the, the promises that we've received now, is His presence, right? That as we're gathered here today, unless the Spirit of God is here with us, this is just a whole lot of noise, isn't it? But if the Spirit of God is here with us, this is now a sanctuary, and we're now meeting with the true and the living God, and He is present with us, and it's what He has promised us. In, in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, we read, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is in us. We have the presence of God with us. And we don't always take the time to enjoy that and to luxuriate in that reality. As a matter of fact, most of the time we live our lives just completely unaware, right? But at those times when we think about it and we recognize, look, he is here with me right now in this place. He's with me right now when I'm alone in my devotions in the morning. He's with me. And it's a very real comfort. And yet, it's not all that it could be, is it? That's why we sing, I can only imagine. We think about 1 John chapter 3. And verse 2, and we're told, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And we can't see Him just as He is right now, can we? Oh, but one day, but one day, right now, we're, we're, we're strangers and exiles. We have a little bit of the presence of God, but then, then, then we will see him face to face. And we will know his presence. And we long for that day. He forgives your sins. Amen? Amen. Amen. We believe that he forgives my sins, my past, present, and future sins. They are forgiven in Christ. First John 1 9 tells me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen. We believe that. We have received the forgiveness of sins. And, and frankly, we live in that reality, constantly needing it, right? Because we find new and exciting ways each day to go ahead and sin against God, and we desperately need that forgiveness on a regular basis. And it's a wonderful gift of God that we will have for all of eternity. But then, one day, there will be something even better. Ezekiel 36 hints at it in verse 27. He says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. Now, he does that to some extent right now, doesn't he? He does work right now to help us to walk in obedience to Him. But that day will come when we will be incapable of sinning. And if you've ever actually hurt someone by your actions, that sounds really good, doesn't it? I'll be so glad that I won't be able to cause pain anymore by my rebellion. I'm so glad that I won't ever again be able to bring dishonor to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by my failings. I look for that. I've got a great gift right now, but I'm looking for something more. I'm not satisfied with just living my life forgiven. I want God's spirit to completely change me and to make me one who cannot sin. Await the ultimate. Enjoy the promises from a distance and then desire your own country. Verse 14, for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. Do you feel the pull to settle down here and make it home? Do you feel it? That pressure, that temptation, that invitation, that urging, dare I say, that siren song that wants us to just settle down here. Why make such a big fuss? Worry about heaven later. You know, you'll probably get used to it anyway, but just, just make this place heaven. And I think in that we, we begin to miss something. We've got the American dream. The American dream is, is all about us settling down here to make this the, the, the best that we possibly can have, right? Is a popular book, Your Best Life Now? I don't think it's possible. I think my best life's going to be in heaven. That's where my best life will be. And I look for that day. The church can get distracted. And we can do some really good things. But they're things that are just focused on the here and the now. And they miss the bigger. They miss the ultimate. We can focus on things like um, social programs. Which is good, right? It's good to do that. It's good to be involved in, in social programs. We need to do that. We need to help the poor, right? Amen. Amen. We, the, the problem is that we can begin to do those things and we can ignore what ultimately is the cause of all the miseries in this world, which is sin, right? And we lose sight of that. That our, our purpose isn't to make people more comfortable until they go to hell, right? Our purpose is to lead people to Jesus Christ that they might not suffer condemnation. Our purpose is to bring them to trust in Jesus Christ, that he has died for their sins, without ignoring these others. But not ignoring the issue that really is the problem for all of mankind, which is that we're alienated from the true and the living God, who is life itself. So we seek to, to address that directly as a church. I think if we look at Psalm 73, we see this uh, temptation within the life of of each of us as Asaph wrestled with this in his own life. He says in verses 2 and 3, he says, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He goes on, this won't be on the board, you'll just have to, to hear this. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not, for him fat means good. So, I I like this verse. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imagination of their heart run riot. And you see what he's seeing. He's looking at all of the wicked, the people who are not walking with God, and he sees them prospering. And he said he looked at them and he was, he was, he was envious of them. And he said, why did they get all the good stuff? What's the deal? And then verse 15 he says, If I had said, I will speak thus. Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. He said, I'm wrestling it through, I'm trying to think it through, and it's just bothering me until, until I came into the sanctuary of God. Until I came to that place where I sat with God and I looked at life, From his perspective, when I suddenly found myself before God, and before God, everything comes into view. Before God, I see that which is true, that which is right, and in that place. And what did he see when he came into the sanctuary of God? He saw their end. He saw that all of this good that they have now is not the end of the story for them. And now his heart begins to burn with a level of compassion. But the envy is gone. And he turns his attention back to God and he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. He begins to realize that which matters. This is why as a church church, We've established as our our vision, our vision is to see every man, woman, and child in the world trusting in Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeking to accomplish. That's where where our goal is. That's what we're seeking to bring into place. Because our country is one of faith, of holiness, and of worshiping the true and the living God. And that's the country that we focus upon. To desire that country. Remember that you're in exile as we're walking toward home. And remember that heaven is your home. Verse 15. And indeed... Actually, I think we'll look at that in just a second. We'll look at verse 15 in just a second. First, I I, want to read a little bit from uh, mere Christianity. You ever notice I read a lot of C.S. Lewis? I'd encourage you to do the same. <laughs> it's just, just uh, what I usually say is, in my opinion, he's the clearest Christian thinker ever, that he saw things so well. He, he asks this question, he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, That does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage." I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others to do the same. That longing for home that we have, that can prompt us to want to settle down here is actually a longing for something more. The reason we recoil from pain is because we know we were made for something better than pain. And it's all something that God has put in us that we might remember that heaven is our home. Again, the author of Hebrews says, and indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. He's saying that in in saying that they were strangers and aliens, does that mean, oh, well, because they just had left, Abraham had left Ur the Chaldees, so he was a stranger and alien when he was in Palestine. No, 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 no. He's saying, no, if that was the case, he could have gone back to Ur. But instead, but as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one, a better and a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I just want to think for a moment about what what this verse, verse 16 in particular, tells us about that better country. To just meditate on that for just a little bit. First of all, he says that heaven is better. A better country It's better. Better is used 15 times in the New Testament. 15 times the same word that's translated as better. Twelve of those are in the book of Hebrews. That's why the, the women's study that they've been going through Hebrews is entitled Better in recognizing that. And, and it's a word that, that means stronger. That is, it, that it has an ability, it has a, a strength and a power to it uh, that reality itself has. It's used in, in a, a couple different places in Hebrews. First in, in chapter 1 and verse 4. Speaking of of Jesus, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. To recognize that Jesus is better than the angels. Well, we think of stronger and that makes sense. We think of able, and that makes more sense, right? It it, it all connects. We understand why he chose that word in that place. And we see it again in chapter 8 and uh, verse 6 where he says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, this is again Jesus, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. So the covenant is better. The promises are better. They are stronger. They are more powerful. They are effectual. They are real. And so that's the word that he's using of our country that we look for is a better one. It's better. It's stronger. It's more able. It's real. And we long... For that country, knowing it's it's heavenly, and by heavenly, I think we have a tendency to 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 think of that as um, as meaning oh just the very best right is heavenly, but I think by heavenly the idea is that it's it's something that that is the substance that earth is but a shadow, it's a hint. Of that which is better uh, rich mullins uh, has a song entitled such a thing as glory and in that song he, he he writes this and and i think this is helpful to to understand the idea he says there's such a thing as glory and there are hints of it everywhere and the hints are overwhelming and its scent is in the air it's more powerful than morning oh the morning can't compare with such a thing as glory with such a thing as glory and I think when we begin to recognize that and we look around us and we see it's the glory of God that's revealed in creation. And I want that glory. It isn't the creation I want. I want that what it, that it hints toward and to recognize that that's the better country that we seek to go to. Not only is heaven better, but God waits for you. He says in verse 16, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to be called your God. He's not ashamed to be affiliated with you. You see this sometimes where athletes will, will do something and the team that they're, they're, they're playing for will get rid of them. I remember the uh, Phoenix Suns under Jerry Colangelo would do that regularly. As a matter of fact, they traded Charles Barkley. Um, I believe it was after he got a DUI. And uh, Jerry Colangelo said, nope. Not on my team. Best player on the team, right? Just a couple years out of being the MVP of the league, but he said, nope, I don't want to be affiliated with that. And yet, God isn't ashamed of you and I. As a matter of fact, he's ready for us to join him. That, That helps us to understand what our identity is. Our identity is not found in our sin. Even the the popular thing that we like to say is, well, we're, we're sinners, right? And even as Christians, we'll, we'll say we're sinners. And, and I don't want to challenge the fact that we do, in fact, sin. There's no question. But what do we mean by saying that? Too often, what we mean is, that is now my identity. And that becomes central as to who I am. I'm a sinner. Whereas the Bible would say that your identity is that you are a saint, that you have died to sin, and made alive unto righteousness, that a true transformation has occurred, that you are now identified by the righteousness of Jesus that covers you as a cloak. It's always His righteousness, but it completely covers you, and it becomes your very identity. In addition, your identity is that uniqueness of who you are that is different than everyone else, It is who God sees you to be. You know, when I say Robin, you have an idea of of that, and particularly coming from my lips, you you may be thinking of my my beloved wife. And you have an image of of who she is based on how much you know of her. And it's similar, it points to what I'm thinking when I say Robin, right? Right? But my thoughts about her are are much different because I know her so much more. What are God's thoughts when He says your name? That's your identity. To recognize who He sees you as in the, the fullness of who you are. And God waits for you because He rejoices in that identity. That identity reflects Him like no one else ever does. And God likes that which reflects Him. The third thing that shows us about heaven is that heaven is perfect. He says He's prepared a city for you. He's prepared a city for them, but a city for you. John 14 again. Jesus says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is preparing it for you. Now we could think that you know, it's like preparing a meal for someone, and that is I just make the, way, the meal the way the meal is supposed to be made. But sometimes you prepare a meal for Someone. You're having someone over. What's one of the questions you ask them when they say, yeah, we'll come over? Do you have any food restrictions, right? Is we want to begin to know, I don't want to feed them something that's going to kill them or send them into into some allergic shock. We don't want to do that, right? Or, Or feed them something that they just hate, right? We don't want to do that. We want to give them something. So we prepare it for them, right? And we happen to know, oh, I know they like this, right? They're clearly asparagus fans, So we're going to have asparagus, right? And I'm going to pick out the the perfect asparagus. I'm going to have it just, if there can be such a thing as a perfect asparagus. But anyway, but I want to make it just right for them. Jesus is preparing a place for you. He knows what is perfect for you. And he's making it for you. In that place, there'll be beloved family and friends. One of the things that's fun, uh, some of you have gone to General Assembly and we joke about, it's kind of the PCA thing, is you meet someone and, you sa- and they say, oh, I'm from here. Oh, do you know? Right? And you want to find out who, who, who you all know and you've got all these people that you just, you know, everybody's got these connections and, and sometimes it's a mistake. It's like, yeah, I know them. Yeah, I hate them too. <laughs> you know, you, you just want to begin to, but anyway, but, but it's what we do. But imagine in heaven that we'll be around those people that we love, and we'll be able to be with them. And that's a good thing. We'll be in the place of unimaginable joy. We have some joy here. There the joy is through the roof. It'll completely permeate. We will be living in joy like we live in air here. And you'll fit in. We, we watch this program, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, I think it's a new program called Survivor, right? And one of the things that's interesting is you, you look at all these, these people and like, the, I swear they just go to model agencies to pick out these people to come on this show, right? And, and, and time after time we hear them say, yeah, I, I never really fit in at home. Really? And what I see from that is, I think most of us feel that way sometimes, don't we? I don't fit in. I don't fit in. Friends, you'll fit in like a piece in a puzzle there. There's a perfect spot just for you. You'll fit in perfectly. And you'll be fully accepted. All that's great, right? What really matters is Jesus will be there. And as we enter, He's going to immediately reach out and wipe away the tears from our eyes. Some will be tears for the the pain that we've felt here. Some will be tears for the, for the pain we've inflicted, for the sins we've committed as we look at our Savior and we'll recognize how we have violated the great love that He's shown us and how we've, we've broken His laws and He'll say, it's okay. With those nail-pierced hands, He'll wipe those tears away. And then He'll take our face in His hands and He'll say, well done. Well done. And it's Jesus who will speak those words. That his glory. That's home. Last week, Harry Reader, though one of the pastors of, of one of the largest churches in our denomination, effective in, in revitalizing churches in Florida and in North Carolina. A man who is, who is uh, a, a tremendous leader within our denomination. And I know that uh, Bob knew him very well. Um, died in a car accident suddenly. Um, it sounded like it was pretty near where the church is. Suddenly this man is gone. This man that many of us look to for leadership in our denomination is gone. The very next day, Tim Keller... Obviously, it's interesting about uh, Keller. Some people plant churches. Keller planted a presbytery. <laughs> you know? Just, okay, you've got to be an overachiever somehow, right? And, and he'd been a, a seminary professor. He'd actually preached in this church at one point, which is interesting. Um, Tim Keller uh, passed away from, from cancer that he'd been battling for a number of years. And I like that someone said, and it may have even been Mel Duncan, he called them boundary stones for our denomination, that they were on different sides of our denomination, and yet they were both men of God and men of integrity, and these two men passed away, and then we got news last night of uh, a dear friend uh, I, I prayed about earlier, uh, Brad, who's been uh, dealing with the, the brain tumor for just about a year, I think is all, and uh, uh, it was interesting, his, his wife sent a text, and the text said, Brad doesn't have to imagine anymore. Yay! All three of these families are mourning. And as, as we face this in our life, it's like, I want to go home. Right? How come they get to be in perfect worship and we got to put up with this, right? They maybe get to preach. You guys got to listen to me. Sorry. But I want to go home. You want to go home? Not that I'm getting a group to go right now. (laughs) But we want to head home. Let's walk toward home while we're here. Let's not just wander aimlessly about this planet. But let's go on that journey that's straight. And it's heading home. To do that, we need to remember that we're exiles. And we have to remember that heaven is our home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you so much because you have loved us with a perfect love and you have called us by name to come into your kingdom and more than to come into your kingdom, to come into your household and more than to come into your household, to come into your family as your sons and daughters. Lord, thank you for that love. I pray that you will help us to be so completely captivated by that love that our hearts will be set on heaven and that you will help us to walk in that direction in all that we do and that as we walk in that direction, you might allow us to recruit others to come along with us that the vastness of heaven will be filled with a myriad of people declaring that you are Lord. Will you do this for Jesus' sake? Amen.